0: while well, you turn to john chapter 31 now i'm not one who believes in living in the past but at the same time there there are certain things that that you remember and that you you think about and i was thinking about the time when i was here now i've been retired longer than i pastored here you realize that i pastored here 15 years i've been retired 16 years <clears throat> Now, back when I was pastor here, there were a couple of Reinhardt girls that had grown up in this church who were a little bit younger than they are today, you know. Uh, Chuck and Diane Moss rode horses instead of scooters mm-hmm, back then. Adam Maloney got his leg broke by his pet dog. And I went to the hospital see him, and happened to have my van there, and they released him, and said because of that stiff, big, old, long cast they had on his leg, he it broke it up here, and and we put him in the seat of my van because it was easier to get him out of my van than it was Betty's car, and so I gave him a ride home from the hospital. I remember Clayton Bell was born a couple of years before I, before I quit pastoring here, and and. Yeah, Turin boys, Paul and Sam were born. And Clipses moved from Schnecksville, Pennsylvania, and I knew exactly where Schnecksville, Pennsylvania was. Surprised them, because I had pastored a little church 16 miles from Schnecksville, and the man who ran the general store in Schnecksville was one of my deacons in the church I pastored, you know. That was 20 miles from New Jersey, if you want to know how far away it was. When you got to the Pennsylvania-Ohio state line, my wife and I were halfway home to where our parents lived in Flint, Michigan. So, you know, I can live in the past with you. Uh, I, I could talk about other situations, other things, other people. But, but, you know, you can remember the past, but you can't live in the past. And you can remember the past to help you live today and prepare for tomorrow. And if you go back and remember guys like Dave Wilson, uh, this is his second time here because when I was here, he was when I came to pastor, he decided that, that he'd prefer to be over at Harvester Avenue for some reason. <laughs> but Dave, I've always been delighted when I come back and see you back over here. Always good to see it, his wife. Living in the past, you know, you can't change it, folks. You can't. Any word you said, you can't unsay. Any deed you did, you can't undo. Anything you thought, hopefully, you know, you can change your thoughts without people always being able to read your thoughts. But sometimes they can even read your thoughts. You can't live in the past, but you can let it teach you and prepare you for the future. While well, you turn to John chapter 31, I don't know about you, but, but there are things about, about this whole Easter season that, you know, the, the, the last week of Jesus' life makes up one-third of the Gospels. Think of that, five, six, seven days of his life, Eight days if you start Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday. Make up over one-third of all the Gospels. And then the next six weeks, almost seven, but the next six weeks of his life, there's only five chapters noted about those, those five weeks, or six weeks. I don't know what all happened. We know he appeared to the disciples on, on the day of Easter Sunday, uh, Peter and John saw him, Mary saw him, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus saw him, and then suddenly he appeared in the room with the doors all locked and the windows locked on, the, on Easter Sunday, and there he was in the midst of ten of the disciples, because Judas is not there and Thomas is not there. We know that he appeared again the next Sunday. We're not sure, I'm not sure at least, of, of the, the timing of certain events, but John chapter... Chapter 21 tells us that he had already said to them, "Tell the disciples to go into Galilee, and there I'll see them. I'll talk to them up there. Be with them." But he appeared that day to them. Was it the following that week, or was it the next Sunday that he we know he appeared the next Sunday? But was it in that week, or was it the week sometime after that he appeared in Chapter 21 up at the Sea of Galilee? I don't know. You know, God. God there are certain things God doesn't tell us. And does not define for us. And and so we can get all mixed up. We can get all combobulated. We, we can just drive ourselves kind of crazy trying to figure this stuff out. But just accept it. If God would have wanted you to know specifically, he'd have told you so. Whatever and whenever, he gets up there. And I'm going to begin reading with verse twenty fifteen and read through the end of the chapter. And verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He, Peter, said, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Isn't it interesting? John referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, (laughs) as though he didn't love the others. Well, anyway, this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testified to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus said many other things as well. If if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I read this with a great deal of interest because we see some interesting things here. I I see interesting things here. Uh, I don't know about you, but there have been some times when 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 somebody told me something was going to happen or or not to do something and and I did it anyway and it flopped or it was the wrong thing to do and I just hate it when they come running up and say, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so, you know. Or they said, I told you not to do that. I told you not to do I tried to warn you, you know. you've got nobody to blame but yourself because I told you. You know, I warned you. It's all your fault. Nobody to blame but you yourself. Or, you see, don't come trying to me about it. I tried to tell you. You know? Did you ever say that to your kids? <laughs> Yeah, I could tell she was one of those, one of us who said it to our kids. Yeah, don't come crying to me. I told you, I warned you. I tried to tell you not to get to. I warned you, but you don't you just love to have people do that to you? Mm, sure you do. Or were you the ones that you failed miserably and you see the person who warned you? whom you'd kind of boasted and bragged, you know, I'll never forsake you, Jesus, though everybody else forsakes you. I'll stay there. I'll be there. And then you see Jesus coming. How do you feel? How do you feel? I know how Peter felt, basically. You know, you expressed all this confidence and you... You you, you you just proclaimed yourself and what all was going to happen and bragged about it, and now you see that you want do you want to avoid them? You know you see them see coming down this door of the church and you go out that door of the church. <laughs> you know you don't want to face him. You don't want to talk to him. Or or you run up to him and you apologize. I'm oh, I'm so sorry. You know forgive me. Uh, I, I I really. I, I just failed miserably. And you just apologize all over yourself. And it seemed like you, you every time you see them, you feel like you've got to apologize almost, don't you, sometimes? That is, unless you feel really the total forgiveness that they can give. Do you see them and think, I know they know, they know, I know they know, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to wait and see if they say anything. And, and if we can avoid the subject, we'll just avoid the subject altogether. We won't discuss it. Or maybe, maybe you think, well, you you ever watch a puppy when it's cowering and tucks its tail between its legs? You ever feel that way? Uh, And you kind of walk around that person like, I'm just waiting for them to say something, but kind of, I'm afraid to say anything, afraid of them, you know? And so here we are, we're doing all these things. Or if somebody failed you, how do you treat them? Ah, uh, see, it's another thing for me to fail you, but it's when you failed me. Now then, now then, how do I act? How? How? What's my attitude now? And so, so, I just can't wait to see him because I'm going to tell him. I'm going to. I'm going to. Let them know how I feel. I'm going to let them know what a miserable job. I'm going to let them know. Yeah, you know, boy. I just uh, got to let them know. Let them have it. And, and so you go along, maybe. Well, I'll just wait and see if they come and ask my forgiveness. I have forgiven them in my heart, but I'm not gonna tell them till they come and ask, right? <laughs> you know I mean, we have we have all kinds of little things going on, games going on in our minds. or I'll just ignore them entirely until they seek me out. I won't even talk to them. Uh, they know I know, I know, they know I know, but I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna let them just gonna let them walk on that edge, let them walk on ice, let them skate. And, and and just, you know, keep them on edge. Yeah. Or maybe you say, hey, I'd like to talk to you. Let's go out and get something to eat and, and have a little talk, okay? Some things, I just just want to share some things with you and get some things with you. Usually, you know, when I was a pastor, if I invited you to go out with me for lunch, it meant I had something to talk to you about, <laughs> You know, I don't know how soon people caught on to that, but uh, I found out that that's one of the easiest times to talk with people. You know when one of the best times to talk to people in your house is? When you sit around the kitchen table and are having coffee and donuts or just having a little snack and, and just sitting there talking. It's one of the most relaxed atmospheres you'll get in, into your house. Now, here we are. How many days past the crucifixion, I don't know. All I know is they're there and they get up there and and they're out there fishing and I don't know what went through these disciples' minds. Here there seven of them though have decided that they're going back out to, to fish. and, and uh, I don't know about you, but if I'd have been there, I don't, I don't know what I'd have done. See all my hope that this is the Christ, this is a Messiah. Have kind of been shattered. Even though the resurrection is there. And and it's interesting that the first two that are named about going fishing. Are Peter who had denied Christ at the cross. And Thomas who didn't believe he was resurrected. Until he could put his finger in the nail prints. And in the side of Jesus. There were some other disciples there. Interesting that Peter and Thomas were named because. When, when Peter stood up and said, Jesus, though everybody else doesn't go with you, I'll go with you and I won't deny you. And you know what the Bible says? And the others all said yes and agreed with Peter. So he wasn't the only one. But he was the spokesman. And it says about Thomas, Thomas doubted. And you know what else it says? It says, and many others doubted also, but they don't get named. Poor old Thomas. <laughs> Poor old Peter. You know, they got pointed out. So they, they decide they don't know what's going to happen now. What would you have done? And so they revert back to what they nor, normally do, but nor, have, would have been done in the past. They said, you know what, let's just go fishing. And so they went out, fished all night, which was kind of typical, one of the normal things. Didn't catch a thing. Can you imagine? How many of you are fishermen? How many of you have gone fishing and didn't catch anything? <laughs> Isn't that disappointing? Yeah. And these guys knew the Sea of Galilee. They knew the little the little holes in the sea where fish gathered. They knew the, you know they. I don't think they were sloppy fishermen. I think they knew the temperatures. I think they knew where fish liked together. I think they knew when the heat, t- uh, temperature changed where fish would. Change and what holds and gather it. I don't think they were out there, you know. Didn't catch a thing. And some stranger that they don't recognize up on the shore says, you got any fish? And they said, no, we can fish all night. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. What inspired them to do it? I don't know. They didn't recognize Jesus for all they needed. It's just some stranger up there at that point in their minds. And they did it. And their fish, they, their nets got so full that they didn't break like they did the other time Jesus had had them cast their boat dead on the other side of the boat. And as they tried to drag it in, suddenly John says, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And Peter jumped in and swam his shore, wrapped his robe around him. The others brought the net, said, Hundred and fifty three fish, they said, was in that net, which was symbolical because at that point in time they believed there were hundred and three races of people in the world. Symbolical. Jesus said, What? I'll make you fishers of men, and you're going to go out to all the world and catch fish. So they get up there, he's already got a fire going. He's already he's got fish. And bread, cooking right there. And they ate and had their fellowship supper. And then, and then Jesus turned to Peter and there are three things here that you have to take note of. First, there's the confession. Second, there's the condition. And third, there's commission. Confession. If I'd have been Peter, I'd have, been, I, I just, you know, I, I know how I act, how I react. I'd have been on this edge, you know, because I know Jesus knows that I denied him because I remember when he looked at me after I denied him the third time in the, the rooster crowed. That would have been burnt in my mind so vividly. So I know he knows I denied him three times. Just like he said. Just like he said. He told me so, right? And Jesus just simply says, Peter, do you love me? Now, there are two words that are going to be used for love in this. There are three Greek words that are are used for love. Eros, which is a sensual, sexual, physical, kind of love. Phileo, which is Philadelphia, or brotherly love. And agape, which is godly love. And this time he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with godly love? And Peter says, Oh, Lord, what? Look at what he said in verse 15. Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He didn't use agape love. What is the more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples that you've gone fishing with? Peter, do you love me more than these boats and these nets that you've made your living with nearly all of your life except for the last three years primarily? Peter, do you love me more than these? I don't know what what these specifically refer to, but I know that God wants to know how much you and I love Him. Do you love him more than the houses that you have, the cars you possess, more than your bank account, more than your retirement funds, more than your children or your grandchildren, more than your fellow Christian brothers and sisters? Am I the supreme element of love in your life? How much do you love me, Peter? More than these things? Peter said, Oh, Lord, you know. You know I do. Wasn't enough that he asked him the first time, was it? He asked him that second time. Peter, do you love me? Truly love me, he said in verse 16. And Peter's answer was, You know, Lord, that I love you. Truly Again, this agape love, this deep, deep love that transcends everything else in the world. Jesus wasn't satisfied with his answer yet, was he? He asked him the third time, Peter, do you phileo, do you love me like a brother? (laughs) You know what? I think God can, I think he reads the depths of my heart. You know, the Bible says he knows the thoughts and intents of my heart. He he knows how deep my love is. And sometimes I feel so incapable of loving with this deep, deep, deep love. I feel so shallow in my love so many times. And Peter, Jesus knew that Peter at that moment in time had not yet grown to the point of loving Jesus to the point that he would eventually love him so much that he would die for his name's sake. And I've hoped and prayed, God, if I'm ever measured to that point, that my love will be so deep and so intense and without any question. The point that I'll say, you died for me. Give me the grace and the love to be willing to die for you. And Peter said, Lord, (laughs) you know I love you. Well, Peter, how much do you love me? And so, though all forsake me, Why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you, Lord. That's what Peter said before. And so Peter answered with all those answers. You know that I love you. You see, in the last point, he said, Lord, you know all things. I look at that and I say, Peter said, Jesus, you know how my heart has been aching and agonizing since I denied you. Lord, you know that I have not been able to sleep at night because of the guilt that I felt and the despair that I have, that I have gone through and am going through because I, because I denied you three times. Lord, you know the shame that I feel and the guilt which has covered me like a blanket since that happened. And you know the aching and the longing in my heart for our restored fellowship with you like it was and even deeper than it was before. Oh God, oh God, have mercy. I think there was such an agony in Peter's heart and mind that he really had trouble expressing it. I think he ached inside and he wanted to to get all this out. He wanted to let all this poison spew out of his mind and his soul and his being and let the world see and know that he really did love Jesus. And so Peter, like most of us, I don't think was ready. I don't think Peter was ready to succeed until he had come to the fullness of depth of despair and failure. And so Jesus gave him a commission. He said, or a condition, not a commission, a condition. He said, if you love me, and he said, feed my sheep, tend or take care of my sheep, feed my lambs. Now, the first time when he said it, feed my sheep, the objects, you see, love is not to be consumed upon ourselves, is it? You know, we live in such a world. Uh, I've said it before, they've said it, probably said it here. I remember, I remember the advertisement that came out which says, You deserve a break today. Ah. What were they appealing to? My inner desires my inner person my inner me i deserve a break today show me where god said that <laughs> anyway we have we are a consumer world in our society and it's what do i deserve What do I, what have I earned? What do you owe me? And sometimes I think we look at and put it out in front of God and say, God, you owe me. Are you sure about that? What does God owe you? Jesus said, Peter, I want you to look around you and see the sheep that are out there and then he said the lambs that are out there and then later he said sheep again now we all know that lambs are the young and the tender and we all know that we need to take care of our children differently than we take care of our grandparents our parents but I'm not sure about that anymore because I'm in my second childhood now you see (laughs) Uh, but children Young and tender, impressionable. People's minds and hearts that we hope to guide and to to, to point in their direction. Remember this, you can't control them because if you could, you wouldn't have done some of the things that you did because your parents wouldn't have let you do it. And your children wouldn't have done some of the things that they did because you wouldn't have let them. You can't control them, but you can teach them and guide them And then pray to God that they follow that. For years I've prayed that my six grandsons, and now Pat has four grandsons. So those of you who don't know, uh, Pat was not my wife when I was pastoring here. Uh, My wife that I was pastoring here, Karen, passed away a few years ago. And I had known Pat. She came to the church we pastored up in in Marshall, Marshall, Michigan. And came to that country church. And I've known her for over 40 years. And she and Karen had been good friends. And she had become a widow. And so uh, we got talking. And things happened from there. Okay. Uh, But we try to direct hearts and minds of our children. We don't control them. Peter said, Jesus, Peter, take care of my lambs, feed my lambs, nurture them, discipline them. You know one of the things that Jesus did, that a good shepherd did when he had lambs that strayed a lot? He broke one of their legs. And then a lot of times he had to carry that lamb to keep it up with the flock. And by the time the leg healed, the little lamb was so attached to the shepherd that they didn't wander around anymore. When I was in college, my College president, Dr. Onus Chapman, a great man of God, taught my pastoral psychology class. And I remember one of the statements he made was, I've got some lambs I'd like to break both legs on. <laughs> uh, we I can't tell you all the thoughts that go through pastors' minds, okay? <laughs> because sometimes they wouldn't be real real good. But you see, sometimes tending and caring for the shepherd, the lambs, Meant discipline, doesn't it? Just like in your children, it's like God does with you and me. Discipline. We find the places that they can find the cool waters and still waters and the green pastures. We watch to make sure that, a, that the sheep don't get rolled over on their back. If they get rolled over on their back and little hump, they they can't get up. They'll lay there and die. If you've ever read the book, I think it's by Philip Keller, uh, Psalm 23. I'd encourage you to read it. It really gives you insight into what Jesus and the shepherd meant, what it meant to take care of the sheep. See, in Israel, in, in, in that time, they didn't have the thousands and thousands of flocks, primarily like we have here in the United States. They had smaller flocks, and the shepherd would walk in front of them and lead them. They would follow the shepherd. The sheep knew their own shepherd. we take care of them in such a way that they know the shepherd. I like to think that we pastors were just the sheepdogs directed them behind the shepherd to the good shepherd. Feed my sheep, tend them, nurture. Your condition is, if you love me, Peter, if you love me, feed me my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, be caregivers if you please. Vigilance was there, protect them, supervise them, rule them or control them from time to time, feed them, watch for enemies, be vigilant for their whereabouts, lead lead them to the right pastures to feed and graze and fodder And you'll handle the older ones differently than you will the younger ones, although there are times when the older ones need that tender, loving care, too. One of the things that I would encourage you to never forget, you know what? uh, uh, If the sheep were properly following the shepherd, they love to have the shepherd's touch. One of the things I, I learned early in my ministry, I don't know how I picked it up, but is that when I went to the hospital to talk to people, touch them. Just touch their arm. Touch their, hold their hand. Touch. So vital, important. Time after time, I remember talking to people, and people come and say, Pastor, and they'd never opened their eyes, they'd never nodded their heads. Of it. I remember when you prayed for me, touching me. The touch. And the shepherd needs to touch the sheep and touch the lambs. And they need to have that feeling, that relationship. And so they don't need to be destroyed by words. They don't need to be destroyed by attitudes or actions. They just need to know there's a touch and a care. If you love me, Peter, feed and nurture my sheep and my lambs. And then the commission to Peter was, Peter, you follow me. Now, you we know we're we're so prone to think about, I've got one of the more important jobs of the church. Uh, I've I've got you know, or I'm this position. How do you know? Is that what God said to you? Is that what God told you? See, every part of the body has its own place and own position, doesn't it? The little finger is different than the thumb. Take away your little finger and you'll lose your gripping power. I can have, I can have two big men come up here and take a stick, a broomstick, hold it in their hands, and the stronger one, when you bring it down like this, will cause it to turn in the grip of the other one. But then I'll take those same two men and have him, the stronger man, hold his thumb up, or little finger up. And the other one will probably make it turn in his hands. You be what you want me to be. I'll be what you want me to be. Well, Peter, the day is going to come when you're not going to be doing your own thing anymore. You're going to be doing what I want you to do. That's that's my commission to you. Physically, spiritually, and even Peter, someday something's going to happen to you or someone else will lead you. I don't know about you, but, but you don't picture yourself, do you, getting into these older years and someone else having to take care of you. But you know what? It happens to the best of us, doesn't it? One of those things. What about somebody else? What about those guys? And Peter looked over and saw John standing there and said, What about him? <laughs> oh, isn't it interesting look out and see what the other guys is doing, compare ourselves, Let's compare what he's doing or not doing? And, and we look at him and say, Oh, you know, but I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Or we. What Jesus said? Don't worry about him. Don't worry about Floyd. Don't worry about what Pete is or isn't doing. That's between him and the Lord. Pete, what Floyd's doing, that's between him and the Lord. You do what God wants you to do. Let Floyd do what I want him to do, and things will go real well, real smoothly. It's not a matter who's playing the piano, organ, or the guitars, or leading the singing. It's not a matter who is. Is that what they're supposed to be doing? Okay, let him do it. You do what you're supposed to do. That is, first of all, be a witness. Be someone who nurtures my sheep and my lambs and be a witness to the rest of the world. And be the kind of person I want you to be. A little shepherd, literally. If you read through the scriptures and find out, God wants his children to be little shepherds. Sub-shepherds. We sometimes say. Elders, the chief shepherd will appear someday. My problem is not what you're doing. Your problem is not what I'm doing. But whether I'm doing what God wants me to do. Is it what I want? Or have I allowed myself? Is what God wants? Or have I allowed myself to be sidetracked so that I'm going somewhere else? You know what your main business is? Follow God. Jesus. That's your main business is to follow Jesus in the path that he leads you and do it by him. Well, I look at all this I think Peter had a phenomenal experience of restoration to fellowship with Jesus Christ that day. I don't think Peter was ever the same after this because I think he knows at this point that Jesus has given, forgiven him in, in all this relationship. Jesus has forgiven him the time he denied Jesus, when Jesus before the cross. I think Jesus has forgiven him that he didn't stay around that day. He went out and wept bitterly. I think he knows all that. And I think think there's such a new element in Peter that he's never had before in appreciation and admiration and thanksgiving that he now understands the total forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I remember when it really dawned on me, although I'd done some things wrong in life, I never considered myself a bad kid. But I do remember the day that it hit me like a ton of bricks that regardless of my character, without Jesus Christ as my Savior, I would spend eternity in hell with the worst sinner that I could think of. You know, we like to measure sin, don't we? (laughs) We like to measure things. And I remember the day it dawned on me and hit me. Who are you to think you're any better than anybody else? See, Peter had always had this attitude. I think, I think Peter had a, a little bit of a superior attitude to others. But I think he lost it during that crucifixion week and the weeks that followed Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection. And I think we all need to know and understand except for the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ none of us are going to go to heaven. None of us deserve it or earn it. It's all God's gift of love. And so when we stand before him and we stand with others, we look, sometimes we, we look at ourselves and, and, and we wonder, what do I need to do? Well, confession is one of the things we need to do. We need to recognize and see ourselves and, and recognize how, how black our life was without Jesus Christ. And we need to make our confession that we are unworthy, that we have failed miserably, that we have missed the mark, and except for your grace and, and love and mercy, I wouldn't be able to stand here today. We need to recognize the condition that we accept Jesus Christ, that we accept him as Savior and Lord of our lives. And then we need to recognize that we are commissioned to go forth And feed and nurture those around us, fellow Christians, big and small, young and old. And then try to draw the world into the sheepfold of Jesus Christ. You have a confession to make. You have a condition to live by. And you have a commission to follow Jesus Christ.